In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, you guys. Um, it's a privilege to be here tonight, and I'll introduce myself, but I just want to commend you guys for being here. Uh, it's fun to go away for a weekend, uh, but it's, it's a little different when you have to fill out an application, right, to come here and uh, give some access to some of your social media stuff. So well done. It's a good job. Uh, who wants to love Jesus more today than they did yesterday and love him more tomorrow than they do today? Yeah. And thanks to the small group leaders and the host homes. You guys are great. And it's great to be here. I, I should probably have gotten my notes ready before I got up here. So uh, one other thing that's kind of been said already is that you're going to get out of this weekend what you put into it. Does that make sense? All right, good. So I encourage you. Uh, you don't have to write every single thing down because then you don't really hear because you're writing a sentence down and then two other sentences were said. But if God speaks something or something, you know, just that is really important, I don't want to forget that. Just write that a couple little words down in your journals. And um, would you all turn in your phones to... Um, no, I'm just kidding. Nobody has a phone, right? <laughs> I'll tell you a bit of my story. Uh, I was, I grew up in Southern California in a, a town called Santa Barbara. And um, I never knew my dad. He left my mom when she was pregnant with me. And I have two older sisters. And then when I was five, uh, my mom died. And then my two sisters and I went in the foster care system, uh, went around to quite a few homes. Some of them, I mean, they were okay, and some of them were not okay, um, kind of that you hear stories about. Uh, but when I was just about eight years old, um, moved in with, a, with a, a family, and they were Christians, and my new dad was a pastor of a little church there in Santa Barbara. And they had five kids of their own, and they took my two sisters and me in. That made eight kids in our family, and that's my family to this day. And so uh, not long after I moved in with them, and I heard about Jesus. And I remember walking down the aisle of a church about this big, this room right here, um, in Christmas, December, the first Sunday in December, and I gave my heart to Christ when I was eight years old. And I want to tell you that I've never, ever regretted that. And God has always been faithful. He's been so faithful. Uh, I haven't always been faithful. He's always been faithful. I've done things I wish I'd, I didn't do. I, I, When I first heard about Jesus and became a Christian and and I was on fire, you know, and I'd tell my friends and bring them to church and do all kinds of stuff like that. And then when I got in junior high, high school, I didn't do that so much anymore. I just, my, my friends at church knew I was a Christian, but not all that many people at school knew I was a Christian. I wish that I had done it different. And some of you are doing a great job sharing your faith. And... Uh, so, it, you know, it was a couple of good things out of it. One is my parents' best friends are the parents of my wife, Terry. So Terry's mom and my mom have been best friends since junior high school. That's like a long time ago. 
and Terry's mom still comes in church in a walker, and she's like a persnickety great-grandma, and uh, she's funny sometimes and uh, tolerable other times, and, um, but that's my, my mom-in-law. And so anyway, if, if I hadn't gone in that family, then I wouldn't have met Terry, and my five grandkids right here, you wouldn't exist. So you better appreciate that, all right? Okay, so, uh, but I have, my life is a story of a lot of second chances. I got a second chance with families in life. I got so many second and third and fifth and millionth chances with Jesus because he's faithful. I'm not always faithful, but uh, my prayer is that I will become more like him. And I I just want to share with you a little bit about that tonight. We're going to be talking about light, light. Uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight and tomorrow night. And uh, it's not going to be all that difficult to understand. So where's the, where's the junior hires here? Can't hear you. Where's the junior hires? All right. Are most of you right here? Some of you are back there? I have a word for you during worship. God gave me a word for the junior hires, and this is it. It's out of scripture. Paul said this to Timothy. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Don't let them. In other words, if they're looking down on you and you feel bad about it, you let them. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. But you be an example in the way you live, the way you reflect Jesus, the way you live, uh, your faith, your conduct, your purity. All right? Got that? You're a junior higher. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Uh, The worship team and those of you that are creative... I want to say this. There are songs among you that haven't been written yet that are going to bring glory to God. So I prophesy over you that you're going to write songs, uh, good worship songs. You want want the ingredients for a good worship song? It has to be biblical. It has to be in the Bible. Don't make up something that's not in the Bible. All right? Most of the best uh, worship songs are taken out of verses out of the Bible. And then and tweak to our language. And it has to be singable by the average person. Right? And it has to be sound like something that everybody would want to sing. And it brings people to God. It points people to Jesus. So I, I, I believe there's going to be some good songs uh, coming out of this church. All right? So <clears throat> we're going to be talking about light tonight. And tonight I'm going to talk about allowing God to uh, search us. Uh, to search our hearts, and tomorrow night I'm going to talk about us reflecting that light to the world. So let's look in the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 1. Anybody know the first three words? That's four, but that's, all right. So junior high boys, this one's for you. Baseball's in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. That's for the junior high boys. All right, I'll have a few more if you're listening. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth, the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. 
the Bible says, and, and the Lord says to us, that in, in order for us to understand his word, we need the Holy Spirit's help. So Holy Spirit, we've asked you for your help, and we're asking you again. Help us to understand what you want for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. So this thing, uh, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In John chapter 1, so this is about 4,000 years later. John the Apostle, who Jesus loved, he wrote a gospel. A gospel is a story from John's perspective, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of, of Jesus' life. And John starts out his gospel in the beginning. That was not an accident. He's referring to the beginning, before there was anything. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of like a, almost like a riddle there, or poetry. You've got to figure out what that's saying. In the beginning, in other words, back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, before there was anything, God created the heavens and the earth. So that was in the beginning. So Jesus, this word, word, is talking about Jesus, Jesus was that back there in the beginning. And he was with God and he was God. All right? Jesus is God. That's what it's saying. So there's three aspects of God in this first verse here. First, God was pre-existent. That means he existed before anything else. That's, that's pretty cool. Pre-existent. And... He was distinct. He was distinct from the Father and from the Spirit. And then remember God said, let us make man in our image. So we believe in one God, but he's in three persons. And if you can explain that, I'll give you a gold star because I can't. All right? How is it that there's one light in the room when there's three candles? You know, there's things that we can't explain. But the Bible is very clear that there's one God, and the, and the Bible is very clear that there's threeness in there. And so we take that on faith. But remember this, Jesus is God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So John the apostle is repeating what he just said, that the word is preexistent and he's distinct and he's also almighty God. And then verse 3 says, all things were made through him. Who is it talking about? Who is him? Jesus. All right. John is introducing Jesus to us. And Jesus is called the word of God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, does it say some things were made through him? No, all things were made through him. And nothing that has been made has been made. So, the visible universe we see, the stars. Have you ever seen a starry night and you go, oh man or maybe a flower, or maybe a work of art, or maybe a baby being born, or, you know, some kind of wonderful things. You go, man, there's got to be a God. And so some people say, no, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. That's Stephen from Nacho Libre, in case you wanted to know. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. I go, God invented science. He is so awesome. He created everything that's there. If you want another proof for God right now, I'll show you a proof for God. 
take your fingers, they're all different, the different lengths, and you close them, and they're all the same. God made you that way. Now, there's always someone in the group goes, oh, ooh, like this, so you know, but generally, they're different. Look how different they are. You close them, and they're all the same. God made that. He planned all that out. And nothing that has been made has been made without him. All right. There's a, a story, it's not true, so please don't quote me, that Satan and God had a contest. Satan goes, I could make man out of dirt. And God goes, okay, let's have a contest. So you see if you make man out of dirt. So God begins forming dirt to make, you know, make a man. And Satan starts scooping up the dirt to make, and God goes, ah, 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 you get your own dirt. <laughs> Everything that we see, Everything in the universe, God made, all right? So then uh, we go to verse 4, John 1, 4. The word gave, here's another um, version of it. There's the first one that's up here. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the New Living Translation says the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. So the word life appears, this is just the t uh, academic stuff right now. But this word life appears 36 times in John's book here. And this life, Jesus' life, was the light to everyone. So this light that shines brightly. In Jesus, God's purpose and his power is made available to people. The life that we have is, is the light that Jesus gives us. And then verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a symbolic contrast. It used to be that every, every guy, in the, every cowboy in the movies who wore a white hat was the good guy, and every cowboy who wore a black hat is, is the bad guy. They've kind of reversed that nowadays, uh, but generally... Darkness and light are contrasted. They're opposite of each other and representing good and evil. And so Jesus, speaking to his disciples, light and darkness, light dispels the darkness. I, you know, when I was in college, I had two little kids at home um, and my wife, and I had to go to school all day long. And then I got a job as a janitor, a school janitor, um, from about 8 at night until 1 a.m. So then I'd work till 1 a.m., and then I'd come home, and then I'd get up in the morning, play with the kids, and go back to school uh, again, and then repeat the thing, get, get home from school about 5 or 6, play with the kids a little bit, have dinner, and then go off to work again. So that was quite a while. But it was this old school, and I'd go, it would be dark, I'd be all alone in the school. I'd go in and flip on the lights, and you know what I would see? Hundreds of cockroaches. <laughs> Big cockroaches. And as soon as I turn the light on, they go, <laughs> like this, 
all over. They scatter as soon as the light turns on. I'll tell you what, light scatters the darkness. So if you want to get rid of the darkness, just turn on the light. Light dispels darkness. Darkness doesn't dispel light. Light dispels darkness. And this is talking about Jesus. So one day Jesus was talking uh, to uh, the crowds. And uh, let's see, we are on Luke chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. It was just chaos. People wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus turned first to his disciples. So there's thousands of people around, but Jesus turns to his disciples. Disciples are those people who want to follow Jesus and do the things that Jesus did and say the things that Jesus said, and he was training them. Another word for disciple is apprentice. So these were his apprentices that Jesus was, was training. That's you too, because you're being trained to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus turned to his disciples and warned them, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Why would Jesus warn his disciples this way? He goes, listen, I'm the light of the world. We know that. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he became the light, the life that was the light to all men. So Jesus is talking about himself. He goes, what, what are you talking about? Something's going to be revealed. Everything's going to be revealed. I think that's a very interesting phrase. I um, wonder if you could... Um, Adam, in the top part of my, see if you can reach down there. Watch out for the mousetrap. The little one at the top, there's a, there's a, that um, thing that I showed you before. Yes. All right. I don't know about you, but I love flashlights. There's something about flashlights. So in the old days, to get a bright flashlight, you had to have a big old thing with like eight D cells, you know. And they weren't near as bright as these little ones with three, three triple A's. So, so it's, it's pretty. It's pretty. All right. And that's not even, that's, look at it. It can go down to this. See, this is, it's pretty cool. So you can't get out. By the way, when you, uh, when you go to summer camp this summer, ask Bud to play uh, Mission Impossible with you. It's the funnest game in the world. Nobody has ever won it. It's where all the counselors, they stand up on a picnic table, and the kids are all hiding around, and they're in the middle of a, of a grassy field, and all you got to do is touch the picnic table without getting hit with the lights. And two counselors are back-to-back -back like this. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. All of you are dead like this. So anyway, it's a... It's a fun game. So this is the light that's going to reveal every secret. See those cockroaches scattering. So what secrets exactly are we talking about? We're talking about sin, things like that. 
Now, I'm, I'm kind of sure that nobody here has ever robbed a bank at gunpoint. Not 100%, but mostly, sure. Or have been, I'm pretty sure that none of you are part of a Colombian drug cartel. All right, those are kind of big things. So what exactly, what secrets are we talking about? Well, in Jude, the book of Jude, it's a little one-chapter book. They don't even give the chapter. They just give the verses. It's so little. Jude verses 11 and 12. Jude 11 says, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. And in verse 12, we're going to read in a minute, it says, these people are stains in your fellowship. They're black marks in your fellowship. So who was Cain going the way of Cain? Anybody remember that? Cain was the first kid ever born, Adam and Eve's son, Cain. And then Abel was his brother. And Cain killed his brother. Cain was the first person ever born. Uh, probably that means he was the first person to have a belly button. Because Adam and Eve weren't born. They were made by God. So I don't think they had belly buttons. And he killed his brother. Cain offered an offering. God didn't accept it. Abel offered his offering. God accepted it. And it wasn't because of the offering and things. It was because of Cain's heart. And sometimes we do stuff for God. And anyway, the point was there that God didn't accept Cain's offering. So what did Cain do? He eliminated the competition. Now, I'm sure most of you haven't killed your siblings, even though you think about it quite a bit. <laughs> right? Cain eliminated the competition. Do you know what we, what, you know what the way of Cain is for us today? Eliminating the competition. We don't do it by shooting a bow and arrow at somebody or a gun. We do it with our words. This is a big deal. So, so the Holy Spirit this weekend is zoning in on on on, on us hearts. His searchlight is searching through our house. And maybe you've had people come to your house before and, and you say, come on in, you know, here, here's the living room, sit down and, you know, we'll talk for a while and, hey, hey, mom, here's my friend and this kind of thing. But maybe sometimes you take them in your room and you're a little embarrassed because your room might not be quite as clean or presentable as the living room and heaven forbid you don't want them looking in your closet but when the Bible says that Jesus knocks on our door he says open the door and I want to come in and dine with you and fellowship with you and you with me so we open up the door of our heart and we invite Jesus in come on Jesus sit down in the living room 
And Jesus sits down there for a while and goes, this is great. And, you know, we've asked Jesus in our heart and we were his child. And then Jesus goes, let's go. Let's go take a tour around your house. How about we start with your bedroom? Let's look around there. Then let's look in your closet, your drawers. Now, why don't you open up your phone and let's look in your phone. This is what the Holy Spirit does when we invite him to. He doesn't force himself. He says, will you allow me to be Lord of all your life? even those hidden areas. Once again, Jesus said, the time is coming and everything that is covered will be revealed. And all that is secret will be made known to all. And it's a tough thing. This is, this is not an easy word, actually. I was, I was thinking about how I was going to share this because I don't want to bring condemnation on anybody. But I want to tell you that as much as you will allow God to search your heart, he will. As much as you want to yield to him and turn your life over to him, God, I'm tired of pretending to be something that I'm not. I'm tired of those things that I hate about myself that I find myself doing constantly. Paul, the great apostle, said the same thing. He goes, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I decide I'm not going to do, I do. He goes, this is sick. This is wicked. Who will help me? Who will free me from this? And he goes, it hit him. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your gift of forgiveness and salvation. I, all this stuff that's in here, you paid the price for, for my sin for my thoughts, for my wickedness. So Cain killed his brother. He eliminated the competition. And, and we do that today with our words. So just a little side thing here. What is the way of Cain today? Well, number one, it could be cynicism. Cynicism is one who believes that other people's conduct is motivated only by their own interest. Like somebody says, I'll wash your car, sir, you know. And you're looking at that person and you go, yeah, right. He just wants something. That's cynical. Like everything that other people do, even somebody who wants to do something for you, you go, you're in your head, you're going, ah, uh, you just want something. Or they want to, they're the teacher's pet. You know, that's cynicism. Sometimes people actually want to do nice things. And we judge them. And we're cynical. And if cynicism takes root in your heart, it grows until your whole attitude and personality is cynical all the time. And that's your identity. Is you're somebody who's really sarcastic and cynical. Another thing that is the way of Cain with our words is criticism. Now, criticism in this context is finding fault with or disapproval of a person or a thing. Sometimes you look at things critically, like in an art class at college, I you know, put a picture up there, and then everybody's supposed to critique 
you know. That's criticism. They're critical, and that's good to help you learn stuff. Uh, or a critic, uh, a movie critic that writes a review. You, you really like the movie, and they write a review that's terrible. You go, I don't like critics. I don't like people who are critical. Well, that's always finding fault with somebody. And, and um, there's a couple of synonyms to critical. One is, I like this one, captious. Well, I don't like it, but I like the way it's uh, the description. Captious means you have, you're ready constantly to find fault with somebody. Trivial faults. One writer calls it a perverse picking of trivial faults. Like something so tiny about somebody that nobody will ever care. And we're constantly picking, 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 picking. That's captious. And carping is an ill-natured uh, uh, thing of constantly talking with our words on somebody carping. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but that's very critical. Another way of Cain is comparison. Not, not just a general comparison, but with contempt. Somebody, you compare yourself with somebody else, and you go, yeah, they're, they're okay, but I know they had a better coach than me, or I know that their parents have more money than me, or yeah, if I had their... You know, if I had their muscles, I could do this. Or if I had their uh, athletic or, or uh, musical ability or artistic ability, I could, you know, I'm constantly comparing. You know, it's a good idea not to compare yourself with other people. Do you know why? Because more than likely, you're not the best person in the world at something. And more than likely, you're not the worst person in the world at something. So you're somewhere in the middle. So that means you'll always find somebody that whatever you love, they're better than you at it. Just get over that. And enjoy the fact that they have a talent that God gave them. And you'll always find somebody that's not as good as you in that area. Because God didn't give them the ability. Or maybe they're not there yet. So if we, if we always look at people that are not as good as us, then we get very proud like I'm better than they are. And if we look at somebody who's better than we, we're always insecure. So don't be either one of those things. Just enjoy where you are. Does that make sense? In comparison. Comparison, comparison might mean a lack or respect of reverence for something. You start talking about comparing with your friends like, Somebody comes in and they're not as cool as you or as smart as you or whatever this. Or if you're a couple years older than somebody else. Or maybe you're the younger ones and you start comparing the older ones. It's not healthy. None of that is healthy. And, and not only that, but when you say something, when you speak something, this is the way of Cain, eliminating the competition. Oh, somebody's getting more popular than me. You know, so I'm going to talk about them some way. It's really not a healthy thing. Uh, Proverbs 17.9 says this.
He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. You know, we don't always have to share everything when we talk about people. Number four here, the way of Cain is slander. I don't know if you've ever heard that word before. Here's the thing about slander. Slander is telling the truth about somebody. But you tell it with the intention to harm them. That's slander. You go, it's true. I'm just telling the truth like this. Yeah, but you just kind of ruin their reputation. Couldn't you just like cover that? Love covers a multitude of sins. Why do we have to repeat it? Why can't we have their back like we would want them to have our back when we mess up? So just a little side note. Proverbs 18.21 uh, says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21. You should really memorize that one. You have the ability with your mouth to speak words of life or to speak words of death. That's a big, big deal. All of this has to do with going the way of Cain. All of this has to do with Jesus said everything, every little secret that you have is going to be exposed. And this is just one of those areas. But I feel God wanted to key in on it. Each of you has the ability to speak words of life to somebody that would encourage them and build them up. Each of you picture somebody who is three to four years younger than you, who annoys you. And you go up to them someday and you say, you know what? I've been watching you, and you're really good at such and such. They probably really look up to you, and they're used to you always slandering and carping and, and, and comparing and critical to them. And all of a sudden, you'll see their whole countenance, their whole face will change. What? Really? Oh, thank you. Like this. And not just flattery. Just make sure you're honest. But you can speak words of life. As a teacher, I used to be a teacher, my first year of uh, student teaching, well, you know, when you practice teach, I, was, I taught second graders. That was, that was so fun. And I never did it again. So, um, but they just love you and believe everything you say. And if you speak something, that, oh, you're such a good artist. You know, they, they, they just, like this. That's life. Or if you, if you start calling names, maybe a sibling, younger sibling, or somebody who just, ugh. You could just see them, their whole body just shrivel up like this. If you have the ability to speak words of life, words of death. And I'll prove it to you. Gideon was hiding in a wine press, that means a depression in the ground, threshing grain, which you're supposed to do on a windy hill, because he was afraid. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. You have to read this in uh, Judges and say, Hail Gideon, you valiant warrior. Gideon goes, you're talking to me? There's nobody else here. You must be talking to me. But you know what? In a few days, Gideon led 300 men against 100,000 enemy and defeated them. That was the original 300. 
He was a valiant warrior, but he didn't know it yet. And when you speak words of life to somebody, you can speak, you can speak out what they don't know yet. You can speak it into being, that which isn't evident yet. It's an amazing thing. But more often we use more negative words of death than we do words of life. How about these words? Uh, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. Whoa. Those are words of death. How about these words? Jesus, I repent. I know you love me and died for me. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life. Change me. Those are words of life. And they're just words. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing. But when you speak words of death, once they come out, you can never get them back. You ever had something come out, your sentence come out of your mouth, and you, you, you want to bring it back, and you can't. It's like cutting open a feather pillow on top of your roof and fluffing them out on a windy day. You're never going to get them back. We want to be people that speak words of life. So, Jude verse 12, this is the next ver verse after talking about the way of Cain, the error of Balaam. Balaam's error was he did something for money and, and um, so forth. Jude verse says, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in the autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by roots. Wow. This is serious stuff. How are you known? How do people know you? By your words? Yep. By your actions? Yes. By your intentions? No. I didn't mean to do that. No, all we see of you and all you see of me are the things I say and the things I do. That's how we know each other. We want to be people that reflect Jesus well. So we're going to have a ministry time right now. And I'm not sure you'll have to make this work, Adam. But just like the searchlights of the Holy Spirit, and you might think, well, that illustration with the flashlight. I have read the Bible, and there's no flashlights in my Bible. Here's what David said in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So when we say yes to Jesus, he takes residence in our hearts. Like we invite him into our living room. But we want to open the bedroom door. Say, Jesus, this belongs to you too. We want to open our closet. And I'm not talking about literally your closet and your bedroom. I'm talking about every area of your heart and your mind, the things you think about, the stuff that you see, the stuff you talk about. 
when your church friends aren't around you? Are you a different person? Or are you the same all the time? We want to invite Jesus into every area of our heart. Our tablet, our computer, our, our phone. How about... How about letting Jesus into your memories of those times where you hurt somebody with your words? Yes, I did that. Jesus, take it. I confess it, and I'm so sorry. How about the times you've lied? Especially lying about somebody else. The Bible calls that bearing false witness. How about the times we stole something? How about letting Jesus search all those, all those areas of our mind? How about the times we've looked at or listened to something we know we shouldn't? We know very well we shouldn't. allowing the Holy Spirit to search you. I've prayed many, many times, Lord, search every area of my heart, God, and then I remember something or whatever that, that happened, and I go, oh, that's right, Lord. Like sometimes the beginning of worship, it just, something's not clicking. And I go, God, is there any area? And boom, it's just like right there. And I go, yes, Lord, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for that, and I'm so sorry. Thank you for loving me through this. And then there's like a release where we are clean before God. But then, you know, a week or a month or whatever later, I pray the same prayer. And I, I didn't think of it before, but God shows me something else. Oh, man. There's something else that God wants to do in me? I'll tell you what. Yes. Right now, uh, any, any of you could say God's working on this area of my life and this area of my life. You know what? God is so, so nice to you. Because there's a million areas he needs to work on. But he's only nice. He only shows you one or two or three at a time. And you get victory in some area. You go, oh, thank you, Jesus. And you get like maybe a two-day break. Yes, like this. And then he goes, okay, let's work on this area. Because some sins are on the outside. They're visible to everybody. And some sins only you know about. It could be pride, arrogance. It could be independence. Like, I don't need anybody or anything. I don't need you, God. Sometimes we get a proud, arrogant, independent heart. So these kind of things are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to search in. And this weekend, this kind of weekend, is a great time to say, yes, Lord Jesus. I surrender all. I surrender. I don't want to hold anything back. Yes, I'm a sinner. I've never... I've never made any bones about that. Yes, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and you're the one who paid the price, the penalty for my sin, and I thank you so much, and I just want to, I want you to clean me and search me, every part of me, because you're the light of the world. You're the one that was always there. You're the one that made me. You're the one that loves me more than my mom and dad love me. You're the one that knows more about me than I do. And I want to 
grow closer to you and allow you access into my heart. And you're so awesome, God. I trust you. I trust you. Sometimes we're afraid to do that. If somebody knew the real me, they wouldn't like me anymore. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people here who are in the same boat. We're all sinners saved by grace. And I'm first in line. Literally, first in line. God is so awesome. Here's that same verse again that David wrote from the message. This is a paraphrase. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. And then guide me on the road to eternal life. Isn't God good? He's so good. I want to encourage you as we go into a response time now that you allow God to search. And in your small groups and tomorrow through this weekend, really allow God to minister to you. Amen. Love you guys. Yeah, go ahead and clap your hands. Cool thing stand out. Just where's that light of Christ? Where's the Holy Spirit shining in you right now? What's he pointing his finger on? Is it that way of Cain? Maybe you've been a bit cynical. Maybe not towards Jesus, but maybe towards cynical towards other people, certain types of people. Sometimes you just don't like that type of person. Why? What's going on there? What's stirring in your heart that you just peg that person and you have words to say against them? Maybe it's something you're looking at. He's mentioned it a moment ago. But that way of Cain really stood out to me. So I want to ask you guys to stand up for a moment. Go ahead and come down front if you want. No pressure. We're going to sing. And as we sing, I want you to ask God to let that light shine. Let the Spirit search your heart. Where is the thing he's putting his finger on this weekend? You might need to go and chat to people in this room in this moment, in this time. Hey, you know what? I've been saying some stuff. I'm sorry. Hey, you know what? I've held this thing in my heart against you. I'm sorry. You might need to go write some things in your journal. Things you feel God's saying to you. But I want to let this time of worship here at the end prepare us to go into the small groups we're going to now in just a few moments where we can be open and honest with what God's doing with us. That this is all about Jesus and He wants to take you deeper. He wants to take you and give you more. Clear some of that stuff out of the way. Father, I pray that as we sing, it's not just a song to sing, but we respond to you tonight. Respond to what your spirit has put his finger on. Maybe we've spoke harsh words. Maybe we haven't spoken any words at all, but we just carry this in our heart towards other people. Maybe even the sin we're carrying tonight is we're just afraid to step in. We're afraid to step out because of past things that have happened that fear dictate how we respond to you or respond to others. I pray your spirit would search us tonight. Search our hearts. Open ourselves up to you. That you reveal everything that we need to deal with this weekend. That we can take another step deeper. That we can fully
fully immerse ourselves in you, in your presence.